Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. Welcome back, T.Y. Hilton, and very fittingly, the most complete game of the season happens in week six for the Colts. I'm Kevin Bowen back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. Chris Presley, boy, amidst um, quite the ups and downs of his sports fandom, is with us in studio. And I'm back from a little bit of a getaway that I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's nice, I will say, that um, you ever played backyard baseball growing up? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like wiffle ball? Well, yes. Um, but how about the video game? Oh, the video game? The oh, Pablo game, Sanchez? Yeah. Pablo Sanchez, uh, you know, Mount Rushmore athlete, literally Jordan, <laughs> Bolt, Phelps, Sanchez, not Rigoberto, who is very good at his job, by the way. Um, but, you know, the juice box they would have on the pitching mound, my juice box is pretty low right now. So I, I could use, you know, okay. if a strikeout and you kind of get like a faster pitch or maybe a juice box. So um, no juice box in sight. But uh, here we are. Nonetheless, talking about a 31-3 to uh, easy cover, mm-hmm. runaway victory for the Colts. All 1 o'clock teams. How about that? One and covered yesterday. It was right. kind of an interesting twist. Um, so, yeah, we will break down uh, yesterday's first home win, first divisional win of the season, and uh, just much, much needed on many levels. Talk T.Y. Hilton, talk Carson Wentz. The fascinating season that Darius Leonard is having, having um Amidst hobbled, clearly hobbled. Right. Uh, a little bit of Eric Fisher. Xavier Rhodes, unfortunately, a Paris Campbell injury. And as we're recording this right now, no update yet on that. But um, first off, congrats to, I know, we won't go Tennessee Vols. We don't we, we don't need to go Tennessee Vols there. Um, although Kiffin's catch of the bottle was very impressive, by the way. That was my thought, too. Yeah. Everyone tweeted, tweeted me the video. They're like, yeah, you're classy. Hey, great catch, Coach. Great catch. His Twitter is unbelievable. About as good as Purdue. Shout out to the Boilers with their tweet mm-hmm. of we beat the number two out of Iowa. I laughed very hard at that. <laughs> Maybe that's a dad joke in me laughing at that. But your Braves right now, I did not jinx them so far. Uh, walk off, walk off to start the NLCS. So congrats on that. Those were those were very uplifting. You know, uh, like you said, we're not going to get into Tennessee. It is what it is. I'm the gatekeeper for Tennessee Vols. <laughs> personally here locally um that's a heavy burden it is a heavy burden but yeah braves playoff baseball we talked about it just before the podcast every pitch matters you know it's funny you say that i'm watching um and i've made the comparison to the nfl regular season i'm traveling back yesterday and and cowboys patriots was on Mm -hmm. and you know those fandoms i I would say arguably the two biggest fan bases in the nfl right now I, i i don't pretend to know metrics on that but certainly up there and like hearing the moans and groans and like the edge of your seat from these fan bases and like Maddie and I are just kind of sitting there. I'm like, yeah, this is just kind of what the regular season is about. You know, when your team only plays once, right. once a week. Um, and, and so I say all that because I'm sitting here trying to evaluate Colts Texans and break it down. And we, and we like to keep it small picture, uh, but then also try to throw in the big picture implications Um and it's like yesterday was really good in a lot of areas. And I think you can focus on that. You can celebrate that. And you can also sit here and be like, I don't know how much that influences the big picture opinion 
Opinion is different than standings. Standings, mm-hmm. you need them. You need them. You need them. Tonight, you need Bill's Mafia. You need to jump, go home. You get home tonight at 5 o'clock. You get out the card table. You get out the foldable, you know, beer pong tailgate table, and you jump on it. You and, have to. And, and you're <laughs> Bill's Mafia tonight because that's what you are with Monday Night Football. And I still got to get that tattoo. Bill's <laughs> I will. I promise you I will. I will believe it when I see it because okay. right now, you know, Rosie will go to prom before you get that tattoo. Um, thank you for bringing that up, though. Uh, so yeah, I, I let's let's get into Colts Bill or excuse me, Colts um, Texans here. Thirty-one-three. Like I said, overall thoughts. Short week, crushing loss. Mm-hmm. When you're one and four, nothing's a trap game. But if there ever is such a thing as a trap game, it's kind of this. Or, well, the Texans played. Pretty good against the Patriots for stretches. I was curious. Um, I predicted the Colts win by 14, so I never thought it would be that serious of a game. But um, I was curious, and I felt like you're able to run away from them there in the third quarter. Uh, the play that I circle is a Leonard interception. Not yep. a freakish play by Darius Leonard, more of Davis Mills showing his inexperience. But still, I thought that play um, turned it. And I just think T.Y. Hilton, dude. This team, to me, lacks a little bit of swagger and backing up of swagger. And I know that's kind of a, you know, not every team maybe necessarily needs it. But, like, you know, Aaron Rodgers says that to the Bears fans and backs it up, you know? Yeah. And, like, Hilton has worn a clown mask walking into a visiting stadium in a playoff Mm -hmm. game. And then Frank Reich has said, Frank Reich, the former um, I guess he is still an ordained minister. You know, I hope I said that right. We're throwing it to T.Y. Hilton early in the game because that dude talks and he can also walk it. And, you know, Hilton, did he have the biggest day of his career? No. But the first catch of the game, the 52-yarder, was just vintage Hilton. Yeah. Um, this team needed it. This team needed a jolt. Frank Reich talked about the speech that T.Y. gave to the team on Saturday. T.Y. is not a vocal leader. Um, I think, but perspective is such a word that is overused, but I think it means something to T.Y. Hilton right now. Perspective of free agency, almost leaving, perspective of being 31, of having a neck injury that he literally could not feel the left side of his body. That's crazy, scary. And it's a jolt. It's him walking into Lucas Oeste wearing the 45 jersey. Is it a bit stupid? Like, are you MJ? No, but... That's how he kind of gets motivated, and I think guys in that locker room look up to him. So just his presence, there's something to be said for 2-14 and 14 when he's yes. not in the lineup, you know? Um, is he the same player? No. But is he something? Yes. And there's a been-there-done-that mindset with Hilton that I just feel like this team needed. And they were reeling a bit. You're kind of up against the ropes a little bit. And I feel like he provided some emotional support. So... You know, Texans stink. Um, <laughs> the false start penalty on the first play of the game was everything I needed to see. Like you knew, yeah. How many times are, did you rep that play throughout the week? And like, God bless Lucas Oil's crowd, but come on now, it's the first play of the game. It's not like this is you know third down with two minutes to go, and it's place is absolutely rocking. Brandon Cooks calls them undisciplined afterwards. Yeah, I mean this is is then it, it's the easiest game you'll probably play all year. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe Jacksonville at home will be easier. You know, the Jets, I don't know. But um, you you took care of business, and you got to two and four, and that's what you got to do. You got to string them together, and you can't do that without winning the first one. So, um, yeah, good work. Uh, two coin flip games coming up. 
And this is it. This is where so much of the rest of the season will be decided. It's too aggressive of a term, but will largely have a very defined path. Yeah. By what happens mm-hmm. at San Francisco on Sunday, what happens against Tennessee on Halloween, and obviously what happens with Tennessee these next two weeks as they go Buffalo and KC. Yeah, they got a tough schedule coming up. You mentioned the T.Y. Hilton uh, deep catch. Let's start there with what you liked. Carson Wentz, big plays. That was not the only deep throw that Carson had. It it was a different-looking Carson Wentz yesterday. You know, he had 11 completions, Chris, for 223. That is an eye-popping number. What's eye-popping to me, though, is not a lot of yards after catch. You know, a lot of that is Carson Wentz doing it with his arm. Now, guys obviously getting down the field Mm -hmm. and Campbell and Hilton being their – the recipients of those throws, but, like, great balls. Great balls, both of those balls, and we will individually break them down. But, like, how about the outside-the-number toe-tap to Pittman? Yeah. How about the Mo Alley-Cox touchdown? And, really, it could have been two to Mo Alley-Cox. Yeah, I thought so, too. Um, I just felt like a common phrase that I used late at Grand Park when Wentz got back to work was he opens up the second level of the passing game. And I know a lot some fans are kind of like, wait, you know what? Like, you know, that's a little bit like maybe too just kind of like technical or a little bit nerdy, but it's like those 15 to 20 yard throws, Chris, he's just got arm talent. I mean, that ball to Pittman is in a zone window that's perfect. And obviously Michael yeah, great made, toe it, touch. Yeah. made a terrific grab as well. Um but like this dude can throw it. Honestly, he's struggling the most right now with like the first level throws. You know, that that's honestly an area where you like to see it get a little bit cleaned up. But man, vertical. Big plays, big plays. Like it's too hard. In the NFL today, it's too hard to sustain drives and the red zone for this team has struggled right now. So you've got to create big plays and almost overcome some of those red zone struggles, although you cashed it in both times yesterday. Um that the next gen stats that I love to look up after each game, mm-hmm. his intended air yards twelve point eight. That is a huge number. So attempt through the air, the intention of that air, uh, twelve point eight yards. His season average is seven and a half yards. So that goes to show you how vertical things got yesterday. The biggest number completed air yards per attempt. Two players in the NFL yesterday were over 8.3. Derek Carr at 11.3, and Carson Wentz at 15.1. Wow. I mean, that's nearly double Yeah. everybody else in the NFL yesterday. So, it's more practice time. It's a healthier quarterback. It's opening up the playbook. It's play action. I mean, look at the Campbell and the Hilton. Both, and I think the Mo Alley-Cox touchdown. All three were play action. Um, but I, this is why you kind of traded for him, to be honest. Like, why did you trade up for Jonathan Taylor to get more big plays? Why did you feel like Carson Wentz was worth it? It was, all right, the guy's not going to be 72%. Like, that. that's just not his game. He's going to hold on to the ball a few times and take some sacks. We saw it again yesterday. But this, that's what you need. That's what you want. That's what you have to have. Um. And specifically, let's start with the Campbell play. Third and three, brilliant by Frank Reich. They go hurry up. They don't let the Texans sub. 
Texans are freaking out. Their secondary's got personnel issues. Guys, in a, they don't know what to do. Next thing you know, the Texans got nine in the box. Mm-hmm. Third and three. You play action it. You protect it. Kudos to the O-line there. And that ball to Campbell. Um, speaks for itself there. So, that was great. And then you come back with the Hilton one. And I just... T.Y. Hilton's ability to track deep balls. It's, yeah. It's uncanny. It's innate. It's uncanny. It's a great word to use. It's... Can't teach it. He's done it throughout his career. And for a 5'9 guy that doesn't really climb the ladder, you know, it's just... He makes them look so routine and so easy when, like, the separation was not really there. No. Again, Carson, take a chance. Did it. Trusted T.Y. Even without a whole lot of practice. No no game action with T.Y. Hilton. And yet the Colts dial that up there. So That ball was spot on. Oh, perfect. Perfect. T.Y. didn't have to break stride. Um, Just love to see chances being taken. Mm -hmm. It's not going to look that pretty, obviously, every week. But it now... Is on film. What does that do? It's true. What does that do? Does that mean the 49er safeties are, you know, one step further back? Does that allow for Jonathan Taylor to, you know, get well, – hell, Jonathan Taylor should have touched it more in the first half, but, you know, whatever. Um, Just those things, man. Um, It can be huge for you. So, uh, this is this was always the missing ingredient, I think, with the Rivers offense is just more of this – more consistently, the threat of it. Mm-hmm. Even though Rivers at times could, I think, kind of manipulate his way to some decent analytical chunk play numbers, it's not as eye-popping as what you saw from Wentz on Sunday. And um, great sign as he continues to protect the football um, at, at a really, really high level. So six weeks in and continuing to get good play. I know people will freak out that 31-3 to and Carson Wentz still played every snap. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> That's not great for the old draft pick uh-huh. uh, debate, but still, uh, really, really good. Um, yeah, really, really good. Well, hopefully, right in the ship, and like you said, the fact that you know Carson's playing better, and we have an easier schedule than the Titans. Yep, yep. Maybe we don't need that higher draft pick. Let's Who knows? Hope. Fingers crossed. Who knows? Defensive side of the things, they played very well. Three turnovers yesterday. Darius Leonard, you said it was hampered by the ankle injury. It was telling when he continued to try to lateral on the uh, interception uh, and ran sideways instead of going up the field. But the defense is starting to step up. We saw Quiddy Pay make some good plays to force Buckner in the backfield. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, you know, this is kind of, I was thinking about it, you know, watching. I was like, oh, wow, this is kind of your starting 11. No Kamoko Ture, but, you know, that was your starting defense, really. Um, And... For two and a half quarters, you needed your defense to make sure they were doing what they did, and that was really limiting Houston. You know, I, I kind of forget. It was 10-3 with Houston having the ball on two separate drives, mm-hmm. you know, in that third quarter there. Um, three points anytime you do it against an NFL team. It's impressive. Um, it's not like the Texans had a bunch of turnovers on the goal line either or, you know, missed a bunch of field goals either. That was pretty uh, pretty much a, a controlled game. Um the, it was it was a nice, very nice defensive performance. Um, it does not shift my concern about that unit when you play. Um, Davis Mills is a third-round rookie quarterback. You don't often see that. Yeah. He also had less experience than Jacob Eason in college. So, um, you know, 
I don't want to be like, I expected this. Like, you know, I, I said 31-17. I think it was my final score, so clearly I thought Houston would score a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, you just you did what you had to do defensively. Um, the turnovers, there are some numbers in there that I know, you know, people won't love defensively. Mills got into a rhythm a little bit early, the time of possession. Uh, but still, you held them to three points, you created three turnovers, you controlled field position. I thought that was a big ele- element to it. The Leonard thing is fascinating to me, Chris. Uh, remember the Mark Ingram run kind of mm-hmm. early in that game? He goes for, I don't know, 2025. Mark Ingram. Yeah. Not Christian McCaffrey. Mark Ingram's running, and I'm seeing Leonard, and it literally looks like someone has one of those elastic bands pulling at Leonard's waist as he tries to run to get Mark Ingram. Like, if you look at his numbers right now, two forced fumbles, you know, two picks, three fumble recoveries, that's back to the crazy, you know, Hall of Fame-type turnover numbers Mm -hmm. he's had in his early part of his career. But then you look at no sacks, one quarterback hit. I think it's like two tackles for loss. Like he is struggling so much in some areas based off what we normally expect from him. But then there's these turnovers mm-hmm. and his ability to punch the ball out is bleeping insane. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's, it's Hilton track and balls. Good. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's just stupid how effective he is with that. And sure, there's times where Henry runs him over and things like that. But like, I feel like more often than not, he makes those plays. So um, he's playing through a lot. I know I, Spiro Ditas mentioned yesterday swelling around the bone. I mean, this is not good. And you watch him run, and you're like, you know, I said today we got Mike Wells in on the morning show this week. Mm-hmm. I said to Wells, what do you think? 80%? Wells is like, no, lower. It's nuts. You know, and, and I guess I don't disagree with that. I mean, go back and watch that Ingram run. Yeah. You watch Hilton, or excuse me, you watch Leonard move, and it's like, wow. You know, if somebody would have told me to run on the sand this weekend, that would have been me, like, trying to, you know, move. Like, he, he just – so what I'm getting at is the dude is gutting out like none other. The dude is still making timely – it's more instinctual plays, honestly. It's more of in-the-box plays, not the plays that we're used to mm-hmm. with Leonard. And I know he made a couple of kind of open-space plays against Baltimore. Um, it's almost like I'm going to show up to games, whatever, 1 o'clock, 8.20, whenever they are each week, and be like, man, I hope Leonard can make it through today. It's got that feeling to me of, like, when does he get exposed, or is this just – I'm going to be instinctual like none other and continue to make these turnover plays week in and week out because he's giving it to you, which is needed right now because the corner group is a little bit, well, Xavier Roses, Rocky Seen just aggravates the ankle, and um, you know the edge rush was still pretty non-existent against Houston. So um, I do want to pat on the back Kari Willis. Mm-hmm. Really nice game for a guy yes. that I know has had some issues early on in the season. And Grover Stewart, seven tackles for a nose tackle. I mean, yeah. you got to love Grover in there. Um, so job well done to, by the defense. I want to give them credit, Chris, and acknowledge that they did what they needed to do. Um, and I know that kind of sounds like a half-ass compliment. I guess it is. Um, but I also don't want our listeners to think that I feel like this is the defense that we're going to see moving forward. Like, um, it 
17-game schedule. These games pop up on your schedule. You need to take care of business. You need to get it done. But that's not going to alter my current thinking of this team moving forward. And I guess that unit moving forward because been there, done that. Mm-hmm. Been there, done that. And the reality is, and it's just kind of weird how the schedule has developed. You're starting to get into kind of like average. Like San Francisco, I think we consider average. I don't think we can consider San Francisco bad. I don't think we consider them above average. Colts right. haven't dealt with a lot of average yet. Like, no. Jacoby and Davis Mills are not average. Um, the other quarterbacks they've seen are above average. <laughs> you know, in Lamar and, and Russell Wilson and Stafford. And, and I, I think Tannehill's above average. So, um, it's kind of weird how it's unfolded so far. But, uh, yeah, I, I do want to give defense credit for, again, keeping a you know, 10-3 game for 30-some minutes, 35 minutes. Like, yeah, you need your defense to do what they did. You want to jump to things that you didn't like? Yes, let's do it. Let's talk about a uh, few personnel concerns. Yeah, let, let's go to Campbell. Um, We'll see on the foot. Obviously, he's had a foot I believe foot surgery, I think he had at one point. I could be wrong on that, but, I mean, hell, he's dealt with a lot of injuries at this point. Um, Chris, just you know, just feel sorry for the dude. Like, he seems like a great kid. Um, anybody, like anybody that's dealt with, you know, if some of the other players, you know, I'll let you ponder what names that I'm thinking about in my head that I won't say out loud, like players that I maybe <laughs> haven't cared for that would suffer these injuries. It still sucks. I mean, we watched it last night in the Seattle game when Daryl Taylor gets hurt late in that game. Like, it's just, it's what we hate and and in a weird way, kind of like just because it's a gladiator nature of football, but we hate it. Right. You know, when it obviously impacts players to this degree. Um, Paris Campbell's played 14 games. And a guy who was never injured in college. Never. And, um, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. I mentioned that. I think I wrote that in my five things learned. Three years at, at his final three seasons at Ohio State and missed two games. Just, you know, um, so I it it's hard to you know hard to judge that. Mm-hmm. Um, now I I know this year it's been a bit head scratching to me like when he's been healthy I don't think he's been utilized to the degree that I feel like is there. Um, but we talk about Paris Campbell for a reason. It's because he can give this offense something that not a lot of players can. None, frankly, can on this team. Maybe T. Y. Hilton, but even then. I don't think Hilton has shown just kind of the propensity of the ball in his hands to make a ton of plays after the catch. Hilton is obviously a far superior player. Um, so, yeah, that's a personnel concern to me of just if this is going to be long-term, you know, the wideout group is being tested again depth-wise. Yeah. Um, then on the, the other two names that I'll mention is Eric Fisher mm-hmm. and Xavier Rhodes. Fisher yesterday, two false starts in your own building. After he gives up the sack the previous week where the O-way kid beats him off the line, I don't think – I think now we're starting to see a little mental with Fisher. I think he's been pretty good in the run block. But the pass block, no. Uh, the tripping and that dude hits Wentz, boy, that could have been catastrophic. Yes, it could. Um, that was really bad. I know a lot of people want to move Quentin Nelson to left tackle. Um, I encourage you to check out Jeff Saturday on the Fan Morning Show this morning through that question at him. And very vehemently against that. I think a couple things we've got to realize with Nelson. First off, his desire is not to go to left tackle. It's not. Uh, the Quint Nelson we saw against the Raiders last year playing 10 snaps at left tackle. Since then, he's had three surgeries. He's gone on injured reserve. And the back injury is lingering. 
mm-hmm. and he hasn't practiced in nearly a month. Like, it sounds so much easier and yeah, feasible. Right. I honestly think with Chris, Chris with Fisher, it's just like you got to ride it out, and you got to take your lumps. You know? Maybe some help, but yeah, you got to got to take your lumps, and like you got to hope that all right, maybe that Achilles he'll flip a switch at some point. And he starts feeling confident, and, and he gets there. Now the worry too is like it's not like you're playing vaunted edge rushers right now. You know, mm-hmm. it, you know that's you know the 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 Bosa kid is, is going to change that um, come this weekend. So um, that is a worry for me. And then Xavier Rhodes right now, <laughs> it's just wild to sit here and be like a Rocky scene aggravation of an ankle injury is even more massive because Xavier Rhodes is struggling. So. Um, you know, teams are kind of picking on him. Was 2020 the outlier? It's a fair question. What do you do? You can mask Rhodes, I think, a little bit more than you can mask Fisher. I don't know. I'm kind of torn on which one I'm more concerned about. You can make strong cases probably for either. But I mention that because, as always, there's good and bad. 60 minutes of football, there's good and bad. And it's two positions that it's just hard to hide. It's hard to hide either. Mm-hmm. And similar to Fisher and the edge rushers not being vaunted. You know, who are the wideouts you've played the last couple of weeks? You know, they're not Stephon Diggs. They're not, you know, Mike Evans and DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Brown and, you know, some of these other guys you're going to see here in a couple of weeks. So um, that's why uh, I felt the need to definitely acknowledge that because right there are bigger challenges. And uh, Sunday and next Sunday, Halloween, certainly going to be that as well. Mm-hmm. All right, those are things that Kevin liked, what Kevin didn't like. Let's jump into Twitter questions. First one comes from Bailey. Wants to know about Carson Wentz and the turnaround based off of last year. Wants to know about, you know, the turnaround. If this was last year, a lot of people would be overanalyzing what he's doing, but since it's not resulted in too many losses, feels like maybe he's not getting as many props as he should. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, I I was reading today uh, Peter King's Monday Morning Quarterback and he listed the top 12 quarterbacks in the league right okay. now. Um, so I'm, you know, reading it, and I'm thinking, you know, and, and I, I'm in my own little bubble, you know, in the sense of, like, my follow the Colts mainly. But I'm thinking to myself, wow, you know, Wentz should be in that group or whatever. Uh, he was not in that group. Um, and obviously when you started to look at it, you know, like 10, 11, 12 on that list, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, Joe Burrow. I don't know the Vikings record. What is it, 500? seems like the Vikings have been I think it's around there wild yeah. games obviously the Raiders and the Bengals mm-hmm. have had nice starts to the season Raiders of course a little up and down but you know certainly the Bengals so I think win loss right there you, know, you can make the argument that you know maybe and, and I don't know I'd probably need to look closer at some of these numbers um, no one in the first 10 or the first nine Murray Allen Prescott Jackson Brady Rogers Herbert Mahomes I'm not putting wins above any of those guys yeah but it's like shit I mean one pick and, you know, decent passer rating. And I'm like, the guy's played pretty darn good football, hasn't he? And I think is what QBR rating one of the two was just below Josh Allen's so far. Yeah. I mean, I think it's something that's just like, yeah, Carson Wentz has played good. Um, I, I, I do think it's under the radar because of the record. Um, yeah. I don't want to get blown away and act like it's been historically great and like, oh, my gosh, let's all bow down. I thought he'd be in, like, that 10 to 12 range. That was kind of the consensus I had. I'm like, I think Frank Reich and him will work it out. I don't think he'll be 2017 good. I think it'll be 2018, 2019 good. And I feel like that's where he's been so far. 
I didn't think it'd be this quick, though. Like, I thought he'd have more growing pains early in the year than he has. So, uh, yeah, Bailey, I think I think that's a really good point. Come a question from Jay. Obviously, we've beaten two teams that we should have beaten. Lost four games. Doesn't want to bring up the Ravens game. So how positive are you even in the losses? What do you think this team would be like if the Colts were actually healthy? Um... Does any team ever have actual health? You know, it just I I understand the question, Jay, but like I think everybody to a degree deals with it. And again, as much as like the Colts are dealing with some injuries right now, like I said, besides Ture, you had all eleven out there defensively who you're expecting to be out there, unless I'm forgetting somebody off the top of my head. I don't think I am. So, you know, six games in, I think it's a pretty average football team. Um Yeah, I, I don't I'm not blown away one way or the other. Uh, There's signs of better football, sure, definitely. Mm-hmm. But like, you got to finish against those types of teams. Um, you know, the Colts had so many more big plays on Sunday, so I think that influenced some of the time of possession, um, lack of first downs. I know people were pointing to me a little bit there as well, um, and it was a 10-3 game. You know, for whatever 35 minutes maybe you'd like to see more of a step on it early type of feel to it I just think a little bit of sluggish starts has hurt this team mainly offensively um, early in the year but as I was saying earlier a little bit Jay it's just kind of a weird schedule how it it seems like these next two weeks are much more of a like minded teams and like minded isn't right like like talented teams like uh, you know how they've played I should say right um so I think these are better valuations. But but right now, Jay, two and four, I think they're a little better than two and four. Um which I know if they're a little better than two and four, would that mean three and three? Probably. Yeah. Because that's like the sample size you go off of through six games. But like I think so far from what I've seen, it it, it it's pretty average. Mm-hmm. Um which average is five hundred, obviously. And now it's all right. What happens in late October, early November? Um, everyone healthy? I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to bank on that. Sure, Nelson and Braden Smith. Hell, is Braden Smith ever going to play again? You, you almost seem like that. But, you know, it's one of those things where you felt like things were pretty healthy yesterday, and then boom, Campbell goes down. And then boom, Rock goes down. I feel like Pascal got banged up late in the game. I haven't seen anything on that. Um, you know, Hilton obviously had the minor tweak of the quad as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Jay, sorry. It's just, it's just life, man. Kevin, you mentioned the the ten and three late in that uh, first half. Raina wants to kind of touch on that in terms of the defense. He felt like Brandon Cooks kept extending drives for the Houston Texans. Felt like we were playing vanilla defense. He's starting to get into the camp of he wants to fire fire Matt Eberflus. What do you say to that? And also, does this look like a playoff defense, let alone a Super Bowl winning defense? Well, no, definitely not, Randall. And I would reference kind of my article that I posted last week about defensive accountability has got to start to be there. I think Chris Bauer has failed um, on that side of the ball. And I think uh, Matt Eberflus, you know, pass defense, Chris, it's similar to kind of like you look at the NBA right now, the center has died out a bit and Mm -hmm. the wings and the guards are stepping up in the NFL, the run game for, for most teams, I think has died out. Or I, I should say, 
lessened a bit. And it's all about the pass game. How you defend the pass, how you pass the football, all of that. And I think the Colts have failed from a pass defense standpoint. Just way too many historical games. And just the big thing I keep on coming back to is they don't disrupt timing and they lack resistance. It's too easy for opposing passing offenses to move down the field. And we saw it, honestly, from Davis Mills for a little bit of time yesterday uh, before he made some really bad, bad, um, bad mistakes. So, uh, Randall, I would encourage you to go there, but I feel like we've kind of swept the Eberflus pass defense issues under the rug. I tried to give some light to it a little bit more, I feel like. Um, I, I said this maybe with JMV last week. If the Colts would have fired Matt Eberflus after, whatever, 2019, 2020 season, you would not have gotten any sort of abrupt, like, man, that's rash. Mm -hmm. I think there would have been evidence. Now, would have it, on the surface, to 31 other teams, they would have been like, wow, really? I thought the Colts were decent. You know, I thought the Colts have gone 11-5. and five. Like, But to get to the pinnacle, you got to make tough, tough decisions Absolutely. sometimes. Just because you're a good football team record-wise, that doesn't mean that everything's gravy. And I feel like at times we've we, we've we've chosen to not look at that with a critical eye. Um, so yes, Randall, I do think at times yesterday there were issues there as well, um, and that's something I will always continue to watch because I mean you name it. I mean the names that I mentioned in that article from Drew Brees setting an NFL record to you know, Gardner Menchu completing 95% <laughs> of his passes. I mean, it, it, it it's every end of the spectrum. Right. Um, so, yeah, I encourage people that uh, miss that article to uh, check that out. Great uh, name here, Full Nelson. <laughs> I love it. He's I got a question it. which, uh, ironically enough, Full Nelson w would reference these two players. Now, are we talking P-H-U-L, like full that way? I no, F-U-L-L. F-U-L-L. Straight to the point. Yep. I recall you saying that 21 isn't stepping onto the field in a recent podcast, but 32 looks more like 21 every game. What are your thoughts? So, obviously, Bob Sanders and Julian Blackman mm -hmm. reference there. Yes, okay. Uh, full Nelson. Um, boy, do I like the way Julian Blackman plays football. Yeah. Dude, he's just so sound solid in moments where I think a lot of DBs panic. I don't get that feeling with him. And the guy was a cornerback. Right. And he hits <laughs> like that. Now, having said all of that, Mr. Nelson, please pop in some Bob Sanders highlights and realize we are talking about the NFL defensive player of the year. Yeah. Um, and again, I don't want to sound like I'm diminishing Julian Blackman because I think he's a, he's a really good player. Well, what I've always been impressed by Blackman is that every level of the defense plays line of scrimmage behind the line of scrimmage mm -hmm. you know, uh, underneath stuff he can make you know we haven't seen maybe a lot of kind of center field type stuff but you know we, we've seen that with him as well so um yeah let's not get too crazy but geez dude some of those hits I'm like wait who what 32 again yeah it's um I I, I like how he carries himself when I think of future leaders of this football team, he's definitely one of them. You had to be happy yesterday seeing the way Willis and Blackman both played together yeah. again. Yeah. Just, I, I don't think we had seen that this season. Right. So I think getting them back to it, especially without your corners are right now, 
You need those guys. And, you know, Leonard's a little banged up. Like, you, you need Willis. Willis had the sack, um, made some other plays in the box. Mm-hmm. Need it. Let's stay there on cornerback because we have a question from Raj. Talking about Xavier Rhodes, not too happy with him this year. Feels like every time the ball goes to his side of the field, he gets burned. What are your thoughts on how Xavier's played so far? Well, not well. Um, you know, was 2020 the outlier? I found it interesting, Chris, when Xavier Rhodes hit free agency last year, crickets, for about a week. One-year deal to re-sign an Indy after the season he just had. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought he deserved a little bit more, so I'm thinking to myself, man, what's, okay, the NFL is clearly seeing something different here. Is this it? You know, did for some reason they just felt like, ah, a little bit fluky, I'm not believing it. Um, you know, corner similar to wideout, when you get to 30, it's, you know, who knows? So um, that that is concerning to me, and you know, I don't see how much of it is necessarily health related. I think that is where it's also concerning. And then we talked about it earlier: the wideouts haven't been the flat out studs that you're going to see here coming up in the next month or so. Um, yeah. All right, let's go to a question from Cameron. And this is a question I feel like a lot of Colts fans had yesterday in the first half. With a stud like uh, Jonathan Taylor, it was baffling to him and baffling to a lot of people why we used him so little in the first half. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, the JT usage is odd. Um, I understand wanting to keep a guy fresh, but two carries and a half? Yeah. When, you know, when you're not... There weren't a ton of drives, but he had it, I think, at least four times there. Yeah, I think back to the Monday night game, Baltimore, Chris. If Jonathan Taylor drops the second play from scrimmage, he just flat-out drop. Um, they keep in the game on third down. Well, third down could be a Naeem Hines down, especially mm-hmm. third and 15. You could have ran that same play that Jonathan Taylor scored on with Hines, and it would have been – I totally would have understood it. But, no, you give Jonathan Taylor a chance for a reason because he is a – Freak of nature. So I look what he did in the second half. That it's almost one of those things where it's like you give him touches because that can happen. And when you don't give him touches, the chances of that happening, aka 83 yards, Mm -hmm. um, is less likely. And I know that sounds like really elementary and I'm kind of boiling it down. By the way, I thought the run run blocking was really good um to spring Taylor for that for that big play there. Um it's just, I mean, you guys have heard it from me before. I mean, Marlon Mack, five carries. Why? Yeah. You know, it's just like, I got the snap counts in front of me. Marlon <clears throat> Mack had five carries, and he played nine snaps. Holy shit. I mean, when he's on the field, he's getting the ball pretty much. It's like, you know, how many, Hines, 11 snaps, Mack, nine? Like, I don't. Yeah. I, I. Still trying to figure out that puzzle there. Yeah, yeah, I don't get it, man. And did you see the uh, the graphic? I think it said something along the lines of that was the longest Colts run since 1960 or something like that. Yeah, um, Donna Brown in 11 and uh, Alan Matty, I believe I'm saying that right, in like 66. The only other two runs over 80. Crazy. I thought Edge or Marshall Falk would have had one of them. I would have thought so too. Let's stay there with uh, Jonathan Taylor. Craig knows that, obviously, on two sides of the ball, we have playmakers, one in Darius Leonard and one in Jonathan Taylor. He obviously wants to also talk about what happened to the mantra of run the damn ball. 
Yeah, you know, kind of getting away from a little bit of that. I, I know we hit on that. Um, there's still, well, I'll say this. I thought yesterday they opened up a little bit more pass, and I understood mm-hmm. it because Houston's dealing with some personnel issues, and so I'm fine with that. Um, again, to me, it's more of just running back personnel usage right now, not as much as like, you know, how often they're running it. Yes, we saw the game. What was it Tennessee game or whichever game it was when they abandoned it? But um, it's more of just who is touching that ball. And I get wanting to keep guys fresh and all that, but, you know, when you're one and four, the luxury of keeping guys fresh for late in the season is just almost goes out the window. And does that mantra also maybe fall on Quentin Nelson's health? Like, if he's in there, you might run the ball a little bit more if he's healthy. Yeah, but, you know, I also feel like Chris Reed's done a nice job. I mean, sure, you know, maybe a little bit more, but um, I do think the run blocking has gotten better even with the Nelson issues and Mm -hmm. Fisher having his own issues. Right. So I don't think Fisher's been that poor from a run game standpoint. Okay. uh, Yeah, yeah. This question comes from Colts Maniac. Even after a tough Monday night loss and a big win this week, have you seen enough to believe that we get a shot at to go over 500 or to get to 500, I should say, after the next two weeks? Yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, I, I'm not sold on San Francisco. Um, you know, two kind of coin flip type games. Obviously, Tennessee's got the gauntlet of Buffalo and Kansas City um, the next two weeks before they come here to Indianapolis. So, um, you know, to be a legit contender, Chris, you win these games. Mm-hmm. You win them. And that Halloween game. So big. So big times a million. You know, it's like we keep on saying, like, Colts still have a chance. Colts still have a chance. You know, like that's you know been like a common theme over the last few weeks, and that's certainly true. That chance and how realistic or unrealistic it is shifts so much in these next couple of weeks based off what Tennessee has, based off what you have. Obviously, mostly based off um, the fact that these two teams play again for a final time uh, here a week from Sunday. How many trick or treat uh, oh, headlines boy. do you think are going to happen after just, that game? <laughs> I, can, I, I can hear it now, man. Yeah, <laughs> one million. We got a two-part here from Jonathan. I'll, I'll load you up with the first one. Uh, in terms of matchups this season, is it because he's not a physical tackle tackler that Isaiah Rogers has not been on the field as much? Um, maybe a little bit, you know, obviously a tremendous interception. Uh, he, and he's, yeah. he's going to get some time now with rock a- aggravating it, assuming he's going to miss time. Um, I really feel like Isaiah Rogers can be best suited on an Island. I know he played well in zone there, but like Miami, they gave him a few more reps, a little bit exposed there. So, um, I've always been curious about him, but I feel like the longer you see him on the field, you know, water kind of finds its level, but still, um, with where you're at right now at corner, he's probably going to get some more looks. And the second part, obviously, we've had Edron James, Marshall Falk, Eric Dickerson. Do you think Jonathan Taylor, over the 20-game stretch that he's had, has been the best running back for Indianapolis? Oh, like franchise? In their first 20 games, yes. Oh, no. Hell no. No. Not at all. No, I mean, Edrin led the league in rushing. I'm pretty sure each of his first two seasons. So, no, no way. Um, and, again, that will sound like some knock on Jonathan Taylor. I think Taylor's been tremendous. But you're talking about two Hall of Famers in both of those guys there. So, um, yeah. And, and, you know, I guess on this 
to this point a little bit, it's kind of popping in my head right now, so I mentioned it. We got a lot of questions on, like, Nelson moving him to left tackle. Mm-hmm. We touched on it earlier. I think part of what Jeff Saturday was saying of, like, you know, the interior of the pocket is very important as well. So, and Chris Reed has done a nice job, but I think that aspect plays into it a little bit more of, like, you know, you want that firmness to be in there and the trust of Nelson being in there where it's, if you move him out to left tackle, you know, does left tackle become average, and then does Chris Reed is water finding its level there eventually at left guard? I think those are some of the questions as well. Question from Conroy regarding Paris Campbell: Is he back next year? He understands that he calls him a kid, can't stay healthy, even with his ability, and at some point, the front office might need to let him go. Yeah, I mean, you don't save tons of money by cutting him. It's kind of rare to see that. Um, gosh, I. I I would not. I, I would still. Again, I don't know how much money you would save by it, but I, I can't recall many times just an outright cut of a player that you love his character, you feel like he's shown something to you. I mean, hell, I feel like Chris brought Jack Mehort back on a one-year deal just because. Brought back Marlon Mack on a one-year deal just because. Um, so, yeah, it just – but having said that, you know, you aren't promising. And I guess this goes back to, and Conroy, this question goes back to March when I'm like, wait, the Colts just went through free agency and they didn't make one other move at receiver? Well, they got to come back in the draft and do that. Wait, they went six rounds in the draft and didn't make a move at receiver? Like, banking on Campbell staying healthy, banking on Hilton, you know, I think still producing at a really high level, staying healthy for the whole season, those were just kind of like, wait, what? Yeah. Let's stay there with the draft talk and talking about wide receivers. After the game that David Bell had this week for the Purdue Boilermakers knocking off number two Iowa, do you think that Chris Ballard would go after him in the second round? (laughs) Well, uh, um, congrats to all of our Boiler fans out there. That was a fun game. I did actually catch a decent amount of that, especially the close. Um, Man, I love David Bell. Love, love, love. Just, you know, I tweeted out on Saturday. I know it's cliche, but he wins. He wins. He won in basketball, yeah. making big plays against Romeo Langford in the semi-state game mm-hmm. and leading a war- very balanced Warren Central team. And then, I mean, 11 for 240 is stupid against a team that he has torched and a team known for their defense. Yeah. I don't think he'll test outrageously well, and I think that might hurt him with some teams. But I watch him, and this is extremely high praise. I see like some Reggie Wayne of just not four two forty speed, not six three and two fifteen, but you start adding up the box score after the game and you're like, Wow. David Bell killed us. And Reggie just went ten for one thirty. Like yeah. that is kind of the feel. So Whoever takes David Bell will not regret it. One iota. I, I've heard tremendous things about him, character, you know, leadership wise, all of that. So, yeah, I love seeing that. I love seeing him get some national exposure and uh, much needed for Jeff Brom. Much, much. Needed. Oh yeah. Especially after Minnesota lost. And I love all the analytics because if you go online, you can actually look up right now. He's projected to go forty third overall. There you go. <laughs> There you go. I love it. NFL Mock Draft Database has him going second round, 43rd overall. Okay, we got a three-parter for you here from Mitch. Question for the podcast, which is most likely this is a bad team, this is a badly injured team, or this is a badly coached team? Um, 
Yeah, Mitch, that's, that's probably a little bit of everything. You know, depth to me is concerning. And then the high-end talent at the critical spots. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about mm-hmm. Fisher and Rhodes right now and their level of play. Um, yeah, I think right now I still slot in that average category. Okay. But, yeah, I got a couple, couple big ones, big, big buns coming up. We saw him a little bit more yesterday, actually a, a, a couple big plays, but Jeremy wants to know where has Kenny Moore been most of the season? Yeah, and I think this got sent in before yesterday. Um, he makes so many plays at the line of scrimmage, though, like mm. those screens, just his ability yeah. to recognize and disengage from blockers. And, you know, I, I do think you need a little bit more from your stars. Now you're starting to see it. You know, Leonard uh, Buckner had a sack yesterday. Kenny would be in that category. I haven't noticed Kenny a whole lot in coverage, like down the field, as much. And I know he's a slot corner, so you play a little bit more closer to the line. But um, yeah, I haven't been. It's not like it's been ghost-like for Kenny at all. Yeah. Question from a loyal listener, JJ. It seems to me that there was a handshake agreement between Frank Reich and Carson Wentz. On the priorities for Wentz, one, rebuild a psyche, short passes, screens, and high-probability throws that will limit interceptions and increase completions. Two, don't get hurt. When rush or when the first option is covered, Wentz overthrows and throws it away. The first read is the only read. Am I misreading the situation? You know, the the, the yards per tip number is still pretty good for Wentz. Um now, I do think there's a lot of truth here on the first point. Rebuilding a psyche was huge, mm-hmm. um, and you do want to him to get into some rhythm, but Carson Wentz is certainly not avoiding hits. <laughs> I would not throw that in there, but um, Frank Reich has had a plan with him. It's been well executed so far, and so I've got no issues with how handshake agreement. I don't know. It sounds kind of shady. Like, no, I, I think it's been job well done there. Okay, five more questions for this episode of Kevin's Corner. Next one's from David. He feels like Frank Reich should only be an offensive coordinator, doesn't feel like he's a head coach, thinks that they need to remind Reich to run the ball, double team with a tight end or or defensive end that is gashing you to make and make tough personnel decisions that Reich appears to struggle with. Yeah, I I mean, I don't disagree with this. Obviously, it's not going to happen. Like, the Colts are not going to. Oh, Frank, we're going to move you to a permanent OC <laughs> and hire a head coach above you. Um, yeah, and again, the Colts continue to play games where there's like not tons and tons of offensive coaching decisions in the fourth quarter that are like based off time management. You know, Baltimore a little bit. Um, but like I'm watching Seattle and, and Pittsburgh last night, it's like tons of them. I mean, like every. Where you turn, you're watching the Raiders and the and the Patriots. Oh my gosh, thousands of them popping up. Yeah, the Colts still like haven't had a ton of games where where, where those are prevalent, and I'm nervous like they'll get exposed. <laughs> you know when those opportunities do come. But uh, yeah, David, yeah, I, um, yeah, I I agree with it. And, and honestly, I think people that have much more, much, 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 much more notable resumes than me um, would agree with that as well. Well, I'm going to stay there with your resume, Kevin, because Twegman feels like you're the only Colts reporter that he trusts. Oh, wow. That's – thank you. <laughs> I Yeah, I guess I take that as a compliment. Says he feels like we have a talented team, but we're not putting it together. Is it correct to assume that it's a leadership issue? It definitely seems like we do not have straight-up nasty dudes to maintain accountability. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fair statement. You know, I talked a little bit yesterday or last pod about learning how to win. Um, you know, if you want to point back to the spring, and this team elected not to do much from a physical standpoint. That was kind of head scratching to mm-hmm. me uh, with that compared to the rest of the league. And I'll go back to what I said earlier about Hilton being back. I don't know if Hilton's like fired and brimstone, nasty dude in the locker room to maintain accountability. I don't think that's him, but he leads in a different way. Um, and I thought that was, I thought it's vital. I think it's so important for this team. T.Y. Hilton is just like, you know, a little bit of that, the kid you trust in the playground. You follow him out there. He decides the rules of the game. You know, like that, that sort of like he picks the teams. There's kind of that sort of feel, I feel like, with Hilton. And it's necessary, really, really necessary. Question from Wyatt. Note, he is not against Frank Wright okay. and doesn't want him to be fired. Okay. But let's say the season stays on the same path and the Colts go five, maybe six wins and it has nothing to do with the play of Carson Wentz. And it has everything to do with Frank Reich's play calling. What happens if we let Frank go? Does Carson still stay with this team? Yeah, I mean, I can't see how Carson and the play calling don't go together. Like, I don't see how Carson could have a very successful season and Frank Reich be considered a terrible play caller. So I don't really follow that one, to be honest with you. Um, I think Carson and Frank are tied tied together. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you went for a bunch of fourth downs and couldn't run the football, maybe, but yeah. And I guess didn't say um, – and didn't convert those fourth downs. Right. Two more. This one's from Sam. Do you know why Ballard stopped doing the quarter season interviews? They were always pretty good and would love to hear one after the Colts start this season. Yeah, I, uh, a little – and I believe Sam is from down under. Yeah, so. he, said, he said mate, so I didn't know if he was yeah. New Zealand or Australia. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a good question. Um, thank you, Sam. Um, yeah, I don't know why Ballard I, – I thought Ballard got a little light on that last year. I'm trying to remember. I don't think he did as frequently as last year. Um, I thought he'd do it last week just because you helped – your head coach out on a short week, you know, mm-hmm. come off the Monday night game. Frank, don't worry about this. I'll do the. For those that don't know, usually Chris Ballard hops on the quarterly. He hops on the Monday radio show and just chats for about 10 or 15 minutes. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Is adversities hitting and Chris Ballard's running from it? I, I don't necessarily know that. Like, he's, he doesn't talk really at all during the season. It's just he's typically these uh, various radio um, hits every four weeks. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, haven't have not seen that yet, and we'll see if we get it tonight. Well, Kevin, we're two and four, coming off a win. Okay, we're going to end the podcast with a, a lighthearted question. Oh boy, happy to be in this situation instead of the last couple of weeks where we had to just completely go yeah. <laughs> go oh, yeah. down some rabbit holes. Of the metal. Conroy wants to know what's your go to food for season kickoff weekends. He always does brats and ribs. But wants to know what you what what you appreciate. And I know you get a buffet spread up in the the press box. But, well, yeah, but, but say you know, it's Notre Dame. Say it's a, another yeah, football game. I am um, brats and ribs. That's no joke. No boy, I, coming at it. So, you know, if I'm a long day watching the pigskin, I'm probably want to appetizer myself to a food coma. Oh, I don't yeah. know if I want to go there. Um, give me every dip you could ever create. Love it, absolutely. Must is the buffalo chicken dip. Just mm-hmm. an absolute must. It tastes like you're eating a football, I feel like. <laughs> um, and I'll eat the most nacho cheese Doritos you'll ever see. 
That's your that's your chip of choice. Need it, yeah. That's my chip. That's my dip. You know, throw me some pigs in a bl- throw me some healthy vegetables as well, just to feel like I'm, you know, feeling good about myself. I can mm-hmm. dip that in a little bit of ranch and make that pretty unhealthy pretty quick. But um, yeah. How about you? Am I am I missing anything? No, I'm the I'm the same way. I mean, ribs. If you're gonna cook, if I was going to a barbecue or going to someone's house and they had they wanted to do those type of foods, yeah, totally gonna eat it. But like you said. I could veggie tray. Yeah. I could dip myself to death. Little Rotel dip, little, little Rotel ooh, cheese dip. Ooh, ooh. Now, when you go veggie tray, do you get the ones with the cheese cubes and the sausages? Yeah, I, I could go cheese cubes if you want to make your cheese a little bigger. Um, I don't, that might have sounded weird, <laughs> but uh, I'm all for that as well because I like, you know, I like a, you know, one slice of cheese for a cracker. I, I don't yep. need to rip the 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 slice of cheese. I want to make sure that I'm. Yeah, you know, going going that route there. So well, we're recording this at eleven. This is eleven forty one right now. So yeah. now we're hungry. I know. So appreciate it, Conroy. That was, that, <laughs> that's a great question. I am starving, by the way. That you mentioned <laughs> that. So, um, okay, Sunday games coming up mm-hmm. next two weeks. So just like this past one, stick with Monday. Coming back at it. Obviously, it'll be a quick turnaround next week because the prime time game. But uh, yeah, that's the route that we're gonna go. And uh, again, um, I believe it's. Two Sundays, a Thursday, and then another Sunday uh, before you hit that Buffalo-Tampa big-time two-gamer. So, Bills Mafia, they get a few uh, fans here from Indianapolis oh, yeah. on this Monday night. Chris Presley, good luck to your Braves. Thank you, sir. Pray for your Vols <laughs> on many levels. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to this edition of Kevin's Corner. We'll be back next Monday recapping Colts and 49ers in Week 7. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.